Well, I'm usually invited in cases that we really need either to uh, go forward with a digital transformation or we need really very much an organizational change because uh, portfolio management is required or we really need that things are not moving the way that we want to move. And in that case, an organizational redesign is being chosen. And uh, this means not only just an organizational redesign, but also a redesign of the processes. So uh, these kinds of things uh, take along with them a lot of change within the organization mm. that I've seen it that sometimes does not work the way that they intended that to work. Sometimes I go there and I'm invited to fix a change that has not gone that well or as they <laughs> were expecting. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. As you know, I'm Tatiana. I'm delighted to have a lady with us today that we've had on the series before. She's also a very known and well-respected speaker. She's on the Thinkers 360 list. She's an amazing advocate of organizational development and true transformation. And today we're going to talk about people's feelings. Welcome, Anna Mamalaki. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. So good I to have you back. We have uh, just teased it a little. So you do a lot of organizational transformation. You go in to help companies really do what they think they need to do next. Tell us a little bit about your experiences and also maybe then we can jump into the idea of what companies do very well and maybe where there is some blind spots. Well, I'm usually invited in cases that we really need either to uh, go forward with a digital transformation or we need really very much an organizational change because uh, portfolio management is required or we really need that things are not moving the way that we want to move and in that case an organizational redesign is being chosen and uh, this means not only just an organizational redesign but also a redesign of the processes so uh, these kinds of things uh, take along with them a lot of change within the organization mm. that I've seen it that sometimes does not work the way that they intended that to work. Sometimes I go there and I'm invited to fix a change that has not gone that well or as they <laughs> were expecting. Yeah. Right. So I'm curious, you work with different types of industries, right? And also company mm -hmm. sizes. You sit in Silicon Valley, which is amazing. There's lots of amazing things happening and always on the pulse. Do you see a commonality when companies say we want to change? Or is there really a lot of very specific custom requests going from place to, to another? Well, usually, I mean, at least the last years, the change is coming a lot uh, from um, the technology aspect. So technology is very much requiring a change in the way that the company is operating. Because, um, I mean, getting into the change, I mean, getting into a digitalization uh, aspect without um, um, having a lean organization, simplifying things, making processes much more meaningful so that they can be transferred in a digital environment, this is really very much a barrier. So uh, they try really to simplify things. And this is... Uh, or change the way that uh, uh, the organization is very much uh, communicating, operating. Um, and this is very much one of the reasons that the last years are really trying to change. The other one is really the way that um, they want to operate and has to do with the efficiency. Um, a lot of times things are very much complicated um, and uh, this takes time. 
I've seen very much the last two years, um, a lot of changes coming out of simplifying supply chain process. Mm. Love that. So if we talk about what you just mentioned, complication, simplification, people want to understand easier ways of working and through that being more successful, what would you say, where should people start? Well, I believe that they should, start, they should start first of all from the fact that they don't need, need long-stemmed organizations and too many reporting lines. Mm -hmm. And that is a very much a principle that uh, I, I, it has been very much uh, said a long time ago. Um, having an organization, uh, the one reporting to the other, it, it delays very much the process. Also, having too many uh, control points. Um, but, you know, this long-stand organization and the several control points come from the fact that there is not enough trust. Mm -hmm. So if an organization does not have enough trust, then it creates uh, too many reporting lines, too many control points, so that they make sure that they're not, let's say, cheated or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that is really the most expensive thing. They pay dearly the fact that they cannot trust their people. How do you go into this? So you come in, people say, we want to simplify, we want to be faster, maybe faster, go to market, efficient, you know, save some money along the way. And you tell them you have a trust issue. How does that work? How do you go well, about identifying, uh, but then also helping the organization through it? It comes out by its own, because when you mm. really start analyzing the process, mm -hmm. um, then they can see that there are too many points, too many uh, 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 important milestones during the process, and uh, too many control points in these milestones. And they right. can see the time allocated. And when you really make the math for them, and they see the time that they spent for all this, and they want to expedite it. They want efficiency. So they're much more, let's say, prepared uh, to cut out uh, certain points. So they try really to eliminate things by their own. Um, they try to, they start trusting um, out of necessity, but then the problem, uh, the problem rises. I mean, who is the right person to be trusted? So mm. uh, from the system and the process, then we go to, uh, the capabilities who is really capable of and who is really the job holder that, that can do that. So uh, uh, the trust is, is, is a very complex thing because it's not a matter of design. It's not a matter of a process. It's a matter of, and it's not even a matter of capabilities. Um, it's all of them together, but at the same time, it's very much um, the heart feeling. To what extent a leader is very much prepared to lead with the heart mm. and also trust the heart of the others. Let's come to that point. Let's dig a bit deeper because we did tease we want to talk about feelings. So one thing you say, hardcore math, here's the numbers you're spending on control instances, you know, cut that out and, and you have a better way of looking at your organization. But then secondly, start opening up your heart, specifically in very fast moving, you know, high growth environments, people tend to forget that or maybe they've never learned how to listen to their heart because it's all driven by numbers and metrics and presenting to several VCs and partners and, and who, who knows what. How do you really tap into this opportunity to tell them, listen to your heart, listen to people's feelings? How do you go about this? Well. I believe that um, people pretend that they don't listen to their heart because they mm -hmm. do that. 
every moment, every action that they take is very much uh, connected, not just to reason, but also to emotions. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, we control both of them. And we try really very much to guide our actions with both of them. But there is no way that someone does not have any kind of, of um, uh, emotion, uh, a reaction, emotional reaction. This doesn't have to do with um, a, a, a reaction that it is bad. It might be also good. I mean, when you see something nice, uh, when you see something that you approve of, when you are in a work environment, for example, that you can see that it very much respects the people and you can, you can realize yourself values uh, that are so much aligned to your own and you can feel at ease, uh, that is emotion. Mm. Uh, you feel that in that work environment, you can, you can be yourself. You don't have to pretend something else. Um, this is emotion. And that's why in work environments that people um, are very much accepted for what they are. Uh, they're much more flourishing and, and providing, I mean, doing their best. Um, that's where the environment has efficiency. So if we do believe that emotion does not play a role in organizational efficiency, that is not really the right path to take because uh, uh, the emotions, I mean, when we, we are talking about an environment that it is very much including everyone, accepting the person as it is, mm. that is very much not only creating a psychological safety, but it's also creating an emotional safety. I love that. And people obviously bring their whole self. So from leader to, to the most junior person in your organization, they also bring their lives, right? They can't check it at the door as some companies expect. What would you say is a good starting point for maybe HR people leaders to say, instill this feeling of being okay to bring your whole self? And then how do you convert that to really effective solutions like processes, like reorganizing a company or a team? How do you build that bridge in practical terms? Would you have some advice? Yes. So when a person has a, um, this emotional safety, then they can really have no barriers in the way that they're going to think. So creativity is very much, uh, much more allowed. Um, uh, a person that has no barriers in, in, in their emotions, they can have um, the innovation that a company wants. The innovation does not only um, help uh, for a new product to be developed, the innovation is also very much helpful in, in providing efficiency because you can find numerous new ways to do things in a more simple and more lean way than before. Mm -hmm. So uh, having these, uh, providing this kind of environment adds to organizational efficiency. So uh, I would say that uh, being in an environment that uh, respects the person and much more important, respects the emotions and also how the person is, is very much an environment of creativity, innovation, and simplicity. It is an environment of agility. It is an environment that can very quickly transform itself to its better, to its better version. Do you see that as well possible now that everybody is out of reach in a way, out of physical reach? You don't see the whole person, you just see this little screen like we do it today. Is there a change over the last quarters or months that you see maybe stemming from the pandemic? 
I challenge a lot uh, uh, the idea that you can see more of a person if the person is very much uh, uh, in the office mm -hmm. compared to being uh, uh, via a video conferencing uh, uh, tool. Because, I mean, to what extent you see more of a person in the office when the person is so much closed and not opening to what uh, uh, the colleague, the peer, mm. has to say. So um, I do believe that uh, you you can easily be behind the screen even if you are in the in the office mm -hmm. uh, so being connected to the person uh, being much more um, um, open to to things uh, to messages coming towards you it's not a matter of proximity to the office or proximity to the peers because uh, i've seen a lot of people now uh, in this pandemic environment that they were just uh, 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 making video conference connecting very mm -hmm. much, calling the other person, asking, how are you doing? Uh, uh, even, even getting out on a bench in the park to see, I mean, how are you doing, my friend? So uh, connecting with the person is not a matter of presence. It's not a matter of FaceTime. It's a matter of very much caring and respecting. And when people are, are feeling respected, and uh, uh, then they do care about each other. And this is not a matter of, of being at the office. Being at the office is much more, um, it's, it's much more psychological for some leaders. Uh, <laughs> True. Uh, yeah, and, and nothing more than that, yeah. Mm. I read a study that if you don't intentionally arrange meetings in an office space, the likelihood of meeting somebody accidentally and having the great idea or the outbreak solution or the innovative, I don't know what, it, it is rather slim. And it reduces with the time that passes between you not coming to the office intentionally and wanting a certain outcome. So it's fascinating. I don't know where it comes from, but, but I have recorded it somewhere. So two myths we've crashed today, actually, um, by accident or actually intentionally. One, proximity doesn't provide for caring and, and trust relationships, right? So video conferencing, remote working is not an excuse for having fruitful conversations and relationships and outcomes. And second, change management is not about the process, it's about feelings. I think that crashes quite a lot of people's approach. You know, when they come with the toolbox and say, here's how you do it, you do this analysis, that analysis, then you do this work plan, these milestones, this stakeholder map, and off you go. And you're saying, yeah, all valid, but there is something fundamental missing. I love that. We still need the methodological approach. Mm -hmm. I'm certified as a change manager with a specific mm -hmm. system. And I follow uh, the system because it really helps you not to miss elements. It mm -hmm. also helps you very much to uh, illuminate aspects of the change and uh, uh, not really very much uh, uh, work well with that, of course. But it's a different thing to have a system which you need it and really taking care also of what the system really provokes or creates mm. for the people in, and for the heart of the people as well. So uh, as in everything, checking really the box that something has been done is not enough. Mm. You really need to understand what this creates, what this creates for the life of the people. I'm always uh, a proponent of, of, of the idea that a corporate environment is... Uh, is creating uh, very much uh, mindsets. It's very much creating uh, uh, mentality to the people. It's creating culture. So mm. uh, 
within a corporate environment, we do believe that we only produce uh, products or services. No, I mean, a corporation is producing much more than that. It's producing mindsets. And it has very much the ability to change mindsets and also affect the whole society, creating a better, a better society. Because what we really um, go through within a corporate environment, it very much uh, transfers to our own personal lives in our families. So what we believe and how we act within a corporate environment, it's very much... Uh, transfused in the way that we think not only mm -hmm. us but all the whole family of us and it's with great. that the whole society i think it's very beautiful and powerful words people forget that sometimes right it's like this microcosmos which lives here and then private life lives there and there's a commute in between now we've smashed the commute due to circumstances but i think you're very right that however you feel you're empowered or enabled or trusted at work is something you might actually bring back to, to home or the other way around. If you have a certain treatment and behavior at home, you may want to have it at work because that is just who you are and, and what you um, appreciate and cherish a lot. So, yeah, I think it's a great reminder that uh, we can't be two different people. It's actually yeah, we always the same. We reproduce the, I mean, if we really experience a non-inclusive, uh, uh, non-trusted work environment, we reproduce that for the whole society. Mm. And this creates a lot of fear and a lot of, a lot of uh, discrimination within our society as a whole. So with that, I would like to say that the responsibility of every corporation in preserving the good values of the society is so important. Mm. And it's very powerful, just given the size of an organization, everybody can add their share. Very true. Now, unfortunately, we're running out of time and it's so sad, but I'd love to leave you with one question that I always ask, and I know you know it already. So good thoughts and maybe some concerns around the future or future of work specifically. Well, um, I'm very happy to realize that uh, most companies are now realizing the power of their corporate culture to the people. Mm. I think that they understand how important that is and how much it affects their efficiency, but also, um, uh, but also very much uh, the talent management for their people. Um, on the other side, though, I'm very much concerned by what they tackle in order to affect that culture. I've seen executives believing, and that is research shown, uh, believing that the aesthetics of, of a corporate environment might be enough for improving culture. I mean, and that is not. Uh, it is very much more deeper. It is how you operate. It is how your organization is designed. It is your processes. It is your policies. And it is the behaviors of the people. But they are much more reluctant on, to, on, on affecting these items that are much more impactful compared to anything else. Maybe time to remind them, Anna. I'm sure there is still work <laughs> to be done for all of us. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, dear audience. I think some thought-provoking um, statements here, head and heart go hand in hand, and the impact we can have through organizations on society is not to be underestimated. So please keep doing your share, keep adding and impressing and challenging, and I'm sure the rest will fall into place. Thanks so much, Anna, for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Keep watching for next episodes of Hacking HR. We'd love to have you back again. Stay safe. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. 
Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.